All right, good morning. Glad you're here. Welcome to New Life. If you're listening online, thanks for finding us. We've got a ton of people listening online, um, about 900 a week, which is just a touch more than we have here. Um, <laughs> if, you, uh, if you're listening online, your next step may be to join us because it is fun in here. It doesn't get, it, it, you just can't quite get everything. Morning, Susie. Um, all kinds of stuff um, to say today, and I know that uh, there's just a lot of pain in the room. I know there's also a lot of good stuff going on. There's stuff going on at the end of this service that I'm pretty excited about. There's just good stuff everywhere we go, and there's also some, some pretty rotten stuff. So um, I want to give you a chance today to do what we do every week here at New Life. Um, maybe the most important thing you'll do this week. Um, yes, more, more important than your devotions in the morning, because sometimes your devotions just turn into reading, and that's it. Maybe more important than just about anything you can do is to get quiet. Because what God said was, if he wanted to, he could wet your pants and speak as loud as he wanted to into your life. Anytime he wanted to. He could just, just speak into your life and it would freak you out. For some reason, he chooses not to 99.9% of the time speak to us that way. But what he said is, he speaks quiet. He speaks quietly. And I think the reason is, because he wants you to turn down the noise in your life so that you can hear him. Um, because when you intentionally turn down all the stuff in your life, the good stuff, the bad stuff, all of that, you're in a different place to not just hear him, because what we've found out around here is listening to what I'm about to say is really dangerous if you don't do something with it. So being, turning down the stuff in your life will put you in a place where you can not just hear what the preacher's saying today, but you can hear what the creator of the universe is saying today and figure out how to apply it to your life. If you're kicking the tires on the whole Jesus thing, you're not sure about God, you're in the right place. We believe you keep digging, you're going to find what you're looking for. Um, and even if you're not sure today, this is a good moment for you to kind of test the waters a little bit and just go, is this real and is this thing good? And the way you've got to do that is to quiet your life. If you can't quiet your life, you won't hear anything else. So we do this every week. I think for nine years we've been doing this. Just a moment for us to take a deep breath, spiritually, physically, emotionally, um, get as quiet as this room gets, which is still not very quiet, um, with all the kids we got running around this building, but to give a moment for you just to say this to God. And this is the cool thing about God. He doesn't need you to talk to him. He can hear your heart. So all you really have to do is just get quiet and go, just quiet my heart, God. And even if you're not sure you believe in him, it's a good opportunity to do that. So we're going to take just a moment. We'll close our eyes. We'll have that quiet moment, and I'll close us in prayer, and then we're going to jump right in today to this stuff. God, in the quiet of this room, we choose you. Whatever else there was to choose this week, we probably chose it first. But right now, right here, at this moment, we choose you. You've said when we seek you, when we look for you with all of who we are, that we will find you. The truth is, in this space today, there are those of us who have tried everything else, present company included. So it would be ridiculous for us to not stop and give you pause in our life. 
in this moment, God, would you do something in us, not, not say something to us, because we get things said to us all the time, but would you do something in us that changes who we are, that moves us to the next right thing in our life? God, you know I have no business standing on this stage today talking about being good. So today, would you clean me up? Would you speak in spite of me, ahead of me, to me, and through me? Pray that you be honored by the way we love you, by the way we listen to you today, and more importantly, by the way we take whatever you say to us and do something with it. In your son's name we pray, amen. So big day for me in a lot of ways. Um, Memorial Day is always emotional, always um, sobering. Um, today, I, my family does this to me every now and then. Today, my aunt and uncle and my mom mom we call her mom mom I think I started that 30-some, 40-some years ago. Um, and uh, so mom mom my Aunt Candy, and my Uncle Ronnie are in the house today. They showed up. Um, my mom lives in Bloomington, and Candy and Ronnie live in Louisville. And um, for now, at least, we're trying to talk them into coming north um, always. But um, Uncle Ronnie is a Vietnam War veteran, and um, something about today and him showing up surprising me today on Memorial Day weekend, um, man. We don't, we don't do a big recognition service, but I can tell you that we recognize you. Any, any of you who are here today who have served in our armed forces, um, who have helped provide freedom um, to do what we're doing today, um, the truth is you're sitting where you are today because somebody else uh, gave their life in some cases, um, gave up freedoms that they had in order to give you yours. So um, Jesus said when he was here, this is the most important thing Jesus said, by the way, when he was here, he said that that the gospel, that the, the gospel, the good news, the word gospel actually means good news. We've sort of messed that up. The good news of Jesus is that what he brought is freedom. So if for some reason the Christianity that's been imposed on you doesn't make you feel free, or the Christianity that you have, the way you think about God, the way you think about Jesus, makes you feel constricted, makes you feel guilty, makes you feel harsh, makes you feel hard, makes you feel judgmental, then you're doing it wrong. From the very beginning, Jesus said, I came to set the captives free. And so Memorial Day weekend, it's about freedom in America. But the truth is, America's only been around a blink of an eye compared to the way God has been around. And he's been in on freedom for a long time time my hope is today you walk away free not just free as an american but free to understand the grace that comes with jesus and i think it sets up where we are with this whole series we're in a series right now called from this day forward and truthfully i don't preach much about a specific topic for a specific group of people because it can alienate another group of people if i'm not careful but we have an incredible issue in our community and i don't mean just our community here in paragon all over the world but especially here in, in paragon and here in, in our area it is a different flavor of problem when it comes to marriage and family and here's the truth no matter what category you find yourself in, if you are single, if you are dating, if you are divorced, if you are married, or if you care about somebody that falls in one of those categories, this is for you today. If you've got people in your life that are broken by bad marriage, if you yourself are broken by bad marriage, or better yet, if you have accepted in your life some pretty ugly, gross things in your marriage, because you felt like that's just what it was going to be, then I'm hoping today is a breakthrough day for you. 
I'm hoping that God does something different in you, and I'm hoping you hear some of the issues in your own heart and in your own life. Now, one of the things that happens to us, it happens all the time, is when somebody likes the way you live, and by the way, being a Christian is about the way you live, not what you believe, not how many times you go to church, not how much quiet time you have. It's about the way you live your life. Jesus said, you come follow me. And when, when Jesus came, he broke the, the old traditions. And he said, no longer is it about... God, are we okay? God, are we okay? God, are we okay? Because that's what the temple was about. Always a priest and a church, and you had to go to a sacred place to meet a sacred person who could do something sacred. And Jesus says, all that's gone now. You in you have more sacred ground in you than any temple ever built. God lives in you now. And when he said that, he said, now your job is no longer to go up to God and go, are we okay? Are we okay? Are we okay? Like it used to be. That's, that was the old religion. Now, the new thing is to go, God says, we're okay once and for all. You accept the blood of Jesus. You accept his forgiveness. Once and for all, we're okay. Stop asking. You know when your kids go, Dad, can we? Can we? Yes. As God goes, yes, we're okay. Now stop this and start this. Stop the vertical. What used to measure your relationship with God was the vertical. Now it's the horizontal. But Christians in a lot of places still live like it's the vertical. And they forget about the most important thing Jesus said. And that was, you want to know what God wants most? He wants you to love the person next to you. And so we, as Christians, we come and we do the guilt thing. We show up at church and we think that's what God wants. And some of us get up on, the, on Sunday mornings and we get our kids ready and we kick the dog three times and we spill the milk and we knock over the frosted flakes and in the car we realize there's a new scratch that, that had to happen yesterday and you had to be driving it, honey, when it happened and it's probably your fault and you argue and you complain and you stop for gas and you get some on your shoe and you go into the front and the lady charges you $1.80 more than you thought she was going to and they can't believe the price of gas anyway and you pull into the driveway and somebody goes, how you doing? And you go, I'm great. And then you elbow your kids and go straighten up and fix that hair thing. And Now, if you come to New Life, well, that's not who we are, really. But there's a truth about it in all of us that we, we think this is what God wants from us. We think that sitting in an ugly orange pew once a Sunday is what God intended from us from the beginning of time. And the truth is, this isn't even close in fact, when Jesus left, his picture of the church had nothing to do with sitting in rows. It was all about circles. It was all about doing life together. It was all about the horizontal. And now we've, we've made it about this. So marriages, marriages aren't thinking horizontally. They feel like if they just come to church and they just fake it, mail it in, they're good to go. I'll never forget when I was growing up how many times we'd celebrate an anniversary in a church for a for a couple that I thought was just ancient at the time. Now they seem like young people to me. Somebody would say, especially like on Mother's Day or Father's Day or Valentine's Day weekend, they'd say, stand up this morning. Don't do this. Stand up this morning if you've been married 20 years. People would stand up. Stand up 30 years. Stand up 40 years. Stand up 50 years. Stand up 190 years. This couple in the back, they lied so they get the free little plastic church, you know, or something. And, and everybody claps. And there's this moment where the preacher says, thank you for your faithfulness. Like somehow, being roommates for 60 years means you've been faithful. Now, don't get me wrong. There's some victory into the longevity of a long marriage. But the truth is, God is no more happy with a broken couple who stays married than he is with a divorced couple. Did you know that? That the brokenness that comes with a messed up relationship is what causes God to hate divorce in the first place. So this morning, if you have accepted this for years, maybe, 
I can't believe he talks to me that way. That's the way it starts. When we, when we were dating, he wasn't talking to me that way. I can't believe he talks to me. I'm going to talk to him about that, and then it doesn't work. So five years later, you go, oh, man, there's that thing in my heart that hurts when he talks to me. And pretty soon, 25 years later, he's still talking to you that way, and you've forgotten that it's not okay. I'm hoping that the freedom that comes with knowing Jesus, the freedom that comes with stop quitting doing this, God, are we okay, God, are we okay, God, are we okay, that selfish religion, and when it becomes this horizontal thing, it changes the way you live your life, and it brings the peace. You know the rest of that if you're a Christian, because we, we say this all the time to each other as Christians. The peace that passes all understanding. And it sounds good and it's a wonderful thought, but many of us sit in the pew right here today. Many of you sit in the pew, and when I say the peace that passes all understanding that comes when you're a Christian, you go, "Mm, not me. I don't don't know what that means, but I can't tell anybody that because then maybe I'm not really a Christian. And the truth is, the real peace that passes all understanding comes not just because you come to church on Sunday, not just because you've been born by the blood of Jesus. It comes because you have engaged in the horizontal. That's what brings the perspective and the peace that comes with knowing Jesus. I guess I should go on to my second slide today. We're moving fast here. I want to talk today about what I believe is one of the roots of our our relationship problems. You've heard me say this before, that one of the things that I am trying to nip in the bud, it's been nine years I've been here, and I've heard the same thing almost every time I have a, a one-on-one conversation with a couple, or one-on-two conversation with a couple, and it's, she told me she was going to kick me out, and I told her, kick me out, Psh, I'm going to kick you out, I'm going to kick you out, you're going to kick me out, then I'm going to kick you out, and that's what it is, it's this, this I've got to get to her before she gets to me. Or I told her this, and I decided, hey, I'm going to stand up for myself, and I'm going to do this. And we, we get this kind of a I'm against you feeling. And what Jesus said is, when two people who love each other engage each other, John says it right here, something different happens to them. And they go from that, you know, that moment, and it happens when you're in junior high especially, where you feel like you just have to protect yourself no matter what you do, you know. You, you go from that moment of, of protecting yourself all the time to looking at the other person and going, you know what, forget about myself. I'm protecting that person. I'm on their side. I know that sounds romantic, but here's what John says about it. 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. If you're here today and you kind of tuned me out because I used the word marriage and you hate it or you're, you're past that part in life or whatever, then I, I, tune back in for a second because this piece of Scripture is revolutionary. This is, people say they have favorite scriptures, and I just don't because it changes. It's just like a rotating door is depending on what's going on in my life. This happens to be my favorite scripture today. This is why I don't get a tattoo of my favorite scripture. Um, First John chapter 4 verse 17 says this, God is love. Now, it sounds romantic, and you say it at weddings, and everybody goes, oh, and there's a tear that slowly comes down the cheek, but the truth is, this is not figurative. This is not written on a Hallmark card. The literal language here is that God, the creator of the universe, is the origin of love. He is love. So that feeling that you have when you watch a Hallmark commercial and there's a romance thing and you go, oh, you know what that is? That's God. And you go, I don't even believe in God. Yeah, but see, God believes in you and he created you. So that thing that you felt, that is God in you. And that that thing that you felt when... She came down the stairs for prom, and you had to act like you weren't really impressed because her dad was standing right there. But the truth is your knees quivered a little bit, guys, when you saw her and you thought, I love this girl. That's from God. 
In fact, not only is it from God, it is God because God is love. When we take up permanent residence in a life of love, we live in God and God lives in us. We're inseparable. This way, love has the run of the house. I love this translation of 1 John. Love has the run of the house when, we, when God lives in us and when it permeates everything we do. It's like love, it, it, it permeates everything, changes everything. It becomes at home and mature in us so that we're free of worry on judgment day. Our standing in the world is identical with Christ. So there was a whole group of people at this point when John was writing this who still hadn't understood the whole Jesus thing. They had not figured out what it meant to follow Jesus. To them, Jesus was a new political leader. He was the Messiah, but they didn't know what that meant for sure. So to him, he was just another, another priest, another religious leader. But what John is saying is that's not who Jesus was. Jesus came not to bring a, a temple worship 2.0, not to bring Judaism 2.0. God created the Jewish culture. He created the temple, and he did all that for a reason. But when Jesus came, the curtain split. The temple exploded there was no need for a priest anymore jesus was the last one and paul or john says here that there's a whole group of people who still missed out on what jesus is they missed out they thought that there was still this list of things they had to do but yeah it's free but what how much does it cost yeah it's free but what but what what am i going to have to do for it and this is john going one more time those of you who have accepted jesus maybe this is for you today and you keep going yeah, but I did, what about this thing that I did? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's forgiven. See, no more, no more are we okay. It's now are you okay with the people around you? And he said, so we got to get this fear of judgment. we got to get this fear of hell. we got to get this fear of salvation, am I, am I not, out of your life because it will consume you and you will have nothing to give to the horizontal. You'll have nothing to give to your partner. I believe as Christians, often this is what's, what, what is killing our marriages? And John says, there's no room in love for fear. My daughter um, is dealing with this fear right now that I'm trying to be very careful with because fear is very, very, very serious thing, even in your smallest child. And parents, this is a moment for you. You thought it was about marriage. This is a moment for you today. And it's a moment for me. My daughter is scared of the rain. Not scared of the thunder, not scared of the lightning, scared of the rain, and I don't know why. I love rain. I've tried to explain to her that there's nothing scary about the rain. She can swim, so even if it flooded, she'd be okay. I don't know what scares her about the rain. And my initial reaction, when it's 10 o'clock at night, and I hear a pitter-patter on the roof that usually puts me to sleep is, oh, no. And then soon I hear, Daddy, the rain is going to get me. The rain is going to get you. Now, if you're a man and you're an American, your first tendency in that situation to go, well, that's just stupid. That's not rational. That's ridiculous. But what happens is then, if I were to say that to London, and I've been very close, when I'm really tired, <laughs> there is this thing in me that goes, London, this is stupid. It's rain. And at one point, I had this thought in my mind that I was going to say here. If you're scared of this, we got problems because you got scared things coming in your life. And I, like, what am I doing? She's nine. You know, this, these things pop into our head. And the truth is, I remembered this piece of scripture. That's why this is where I'm living right now. And if I had to tattoo it something, this would be it. That fear and love do not exist together. So here's what happens to my loving daughter and my family sitting in front of me. Is there any more pure love than that girl? 
But when she's scared, even London can't love. Even London is short with her, her brother. Even my daughter kicks the dog when she's scared. Because it's not her anymore. So the truth is, if there's fear in your life right now, we got to pause. Because according to John, and according to what I see with my own eyeballs, and what I've experienced in my own life, fear cripples love. So if you, mom, if you're scared to death that he's going to leave you because three husbands ago you had one, and then two husbands ago it was kind of weird, and now this one, you're dealing with a fear that is going to cripple your love. Now I believe this goes on beyond marriage. I believe half the Facebooks you see, Facebook posts you see from Christians that are slamming the president or completely ripping down some political thing or ripping down somebody who doesn't believe what they believe, they're scared to death. They're scared to death. And instead of looking at this whole situation and going, there are people dying, there are things awful happening, and what can I do, and what is my horizontal representation? They're so tied into the vertical, and are we all right, God, that the rules mean so much to them that all they want to do is bash other people because love and fear can't exist together. This is huge. So, Dad, if there's a fear in your house, whatever it is, take it seriously. Love it. Nurture it. Get rid of it. There is no room in love for fear. Well-formed love banishes fear, gets rid of it. Since fear is crippling, a fearful life, fear of death, fear of judgment, is one not yet fully formed in love. So here's, listen to this. You know I have a faith problem. Maybe it's not a problem. I just wasn't blessed with the gift of faith. It makes me a good preacher, I think. But I have to test all this stuff. And so with London, I was reading this, and fear... This whole fear thing, I'm going, okay, so love banishes fear. They can't exist together. So I went to London. One day it started raining, 10 o'clock at night. Daddy! And this time I didn't go, oh, I jumped out of bed because I had an idea. What if I could change the way London thinks during the rain? What if it wasn't the rain's going to get me, it's going to hurt me, I'm gonna, something bad is going to happen to me? Do you see the common denominator in that sentence? It's me, it's me, it's me, it's me. And London is the most unselfish person I know. She has been crippled by me, me, me. And if I, get, I got up into her bed, she's got this loft bed. It's a queen-size loft bed, and I built it, so I was a little worried about getting in it. And I got, I got up in this queen-size loft bed with her which is already incredibly wonderful for her because dad's in the bed and that's just neat and maybe it's a... And then I said, let's, let's just lay here. Let's look up at the ceiling and listen to the rain. But while we listen to the rain, let's think about some things we love. Let's just think about some things we love. What do you love? I love gymnastics. What do you love about gymnastics? Oh, I love that feeling when I'm, I'm sore the next day and I know why. I love gymnastics. What else do you love? Well, I, I love... And she starts naming the things she loves. I said, London, how are you feeling? She goes, I think I can go to sleep. And I, I got out of the bed, and I thought, well, the rain quit a little bit. And it had tripled in its sound and its intensity. And London went right to sleep. I believe this stuff. This is not a fairy tale. This is not a moment for you to go, well, I wish that were true. This is real. In your marriage right now, if there is something fearful, maybe it sounds something like this. Let me finish the scripture, and then we'll go on to the next slide. Gosh, i got to move. Since fear is crippling, a fearful, li- a fearful life, fear of death, fear of judgment, is one not yet fully formed in love. We, though, are going to love. This is him going, oh, set your jaw. We are going to love. Love and be loved. 
First, we were loved. Jesus loved us. And the problem is, if you're in that mode of your life with God where you're constantly looking up going, are we okay? Are we okay? Are we okay? Then you have missed the point of Jesus. Once and for all, gave that forgiveness. Now, this is what he's saying. He once loved us this way. Now it's your turn to be in a partnership relationship with the person that you love where they never have to ask, are we okay? Are we okay? Are we going to leave each other? Are you going to leave me? Are you going to kick me out? Am I going to kick you out? It's not ever that. It's always this moment of because he did this for me, because I understand a different kind of love that has no holds barred, that has no issues with forgiveness, that has no number of times you can get away with something. I love you. I'm for you. Now you can forget about the fear associated. If you're dating right now, do not settle for anything less than that. If you're a junior higher or a high schooler, you're probably back there, but you might be listening online. Your mom's probably making you listen to this out of some sort of punishment. If you're listening to this because you've been punished for dating a guy too late on a Friday night, then listen to me just for a second. You've got to listen anyway. If you're a junior high, if you're a young high school kid and you're dating somebody and you think it just doesn't matter right now, you think he, just as long as he's cute and he's got a nice car, or just as long as he's popular or whatever, I don't really care what he believes, I don't really care how he treats me and the people around him, then you need to know you are setting yourself up. You're building a wall. You're building habits. You're building an understanding of love that is so wrong. By the time you're old enough to say, yes, this is the person, you won't know anymore what it really is. And by that time, you will have accepted fear and junk that you don't have to accept. Now that said, if you've already accepted it, and you're already living with it, today you need to know two things. And one of them you'll really like to hear, and the other one, if you're a Christian and you've been a Christian for a long time, and you've been in the church for a long time, you may be mad at me after I say this. The first one is this. If you're in a relationship right now with somebody who is a fear monger, somebody who is leveraging fear or just allowing it to consume your marriage and and you can't get it out of this fear and you cannot fix it then you need to stop you need to take a moment to understand that this is not what god intended for your life i remember when i went through my first divorce or went through i've only been through one divorce um (laughs) when i went when i went through divorce I'll never forget the feeling in the church. I was in ministry at the time. And the church where I served was very conservative, and all the elders were very conservative. They had never had a divorced person on staff or in leadership at all. And my wife left for a guy she met on the internet, and there was this moment of like, "Uh uh-oh, the bylaws say that no divorced men on staff. Yeah, but it's John. Yeah, but we, we, we got a rule about that. Yeah, but she left him for another. Yeah, well, you know, divorce is divorce. It's brokenness with. I said, guys, what what are we what are we doing? This thing that that we made here on earth that God blessed, this marriage, is broken. It's it's broken. And and the truth is what God wants from you is not to be miserable and be abused in marriage. It's not what God intended for you. It's not His will for you to obey the law of Leviticus in order to do something that was meant for a group, another group of people. What it is God's will for is for you to be in a healthy, loving, growing relationship. 
And I'm not saying be flippant with your marriage, but I'm saying don't settle for less than what God has given you. Today I would say, if you're dealing with that, if you're dealing with a marriage that is broken, I'd mean save your marriage. Come see me. Come, find, come see me. You know I don't do marriage counseling. I will find you. I got a list in my pocket of people I can send you to. You do not want to come see me. But I will send you to somebody that will help you, and we will at all costs, within a certain reason, save your marriage. But God is, is just as broken by a hurting marriage from two people who stay together than he is from a divorce. Fear triggers fight or flight. Fear triggers fight or flight. This is why fear and love can't exist. You know, this is part of our brain. It's part of animal kingdom. It's part of the way God built us and all the animals. That when we get scared, we, we get into this, like, boxer mode where we're going to fight or we're going to flight. And the, the problem is we can't do both at the same time. We can't love and get into that mode. So the good news about love is it triggers passion and reason. When I laid in bed with London and we started talking about the things we loved, it started with gymnastics and with the dress that she just bought. She's already getting into that mode. It started with shoes and those kinds of things and it quickly came to Nana. I love my Nana. I know you do. What do you love about Nana? And that led her to, I love I love when Reese and I go together to, oh, I love my brother. Yeah, you love your brother. And pretty soon, this triggers a different kind of thinking in you where you go, man, all these things God has given me, and it's just rain. And all of a sudden, what was fight or flight has become reason and passion and perspective. John said it this way, since fear is crippling, since fear leaves you in your bed scared of the rain, Fear of fearful life, fear of death, or fear of judgment is one not yet fully formed in love. If you're, if you're here today and you have lost perspective because of fear, the good news is a fully formed love is around the corner. You just have to push. You have to grow. You have to move. You have to try. And that's why from the very beginning, love was never intended to be a noun. And that's why it's so hard for us to talk about love. We like to put it on a card like it's a noun. But God, from the very beginning, made love a verb. It's something you do. It's action you engage in. And if today you find yourself stalled because you say, I'm, well, I'm, I'm not in love with them, but I love them. What does that mean? We say that a lot. It sounds good, but it doesn't mean anything. What it means is, I don't really love them. <laughs> I, I don't really want to be with them. If you really love somebody, you do. In fact, one of your favorite scriptures may be John 3.16. If you're new to church, it's, that, it's the sign that people hold up at football games next to the guy with the uh, like rainbow hair, you know? John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave. He did something. That's what love is. It gives, it goes, it moves. Today, if you're stuck in fear, the next right thing for you to do, come see me if you want counseling, but I'll probably tell you the next right thing for you to do is go find something to do to show love. Yeah, but they don't show, doesn't matter. Yeah, but he's a little, doesn't matter. You start, you begin, you go. Those of you who are men who have been in the church for a long time and have totally messed up or have been messed up by the church's, a lot of churches' understanding of men and women and their roles in God's kingdom, I want you to know this for a second, that men, if you want to lead your home, whatever that means, if you think you're the head of the house, 
that the number one thing that means for you is you go first. When it's hardest, when it's worst, when fear has overtaken your marriage, when there's anger, when there's frustration, when she's pouting and you're pointing and things are thrown against walls and drywalls getting exploded, your job, if you're the head of the house, it's not making decisions, it's not paying the bills, your job is to be the one that goes first in love. Period. Man, I'm sweating up here. Why is it so important to act in love instead of fear? That next slide there. The primitive, protective, fearful, survival part of your brain can't run at the same time as the other rational, loving parts of your brain. It can't happen. When you choose fear, you choose survival mode. Survival mode cannot have love. You guys know that I've dealt with anxiety for a long time. and There was a time five years ago or so, Risha wasn't coming to church with me, and I would drive 35 minutes from Bloomington. And the closer I got to this building, the more scared I got. Anxiety. You try standing on this stage for 30, <coughs> 40 minutes on Sundays. This is scary. And then somebody tells you, oh, thank you for being the voice of God. What? Oh, yeah, my, my husband and I decided we're going to change our whole marriage based on what you said this week. What? I'm a mess. And I drive, and the closer I got here, the more cornfields I saw, the more I'd start to get nervous. And I'd come around this corner, and I would be so shaking in my boots that I would sit out there where my car parks right now. It's parked in the same place of nine years. I would sit right out there, and I, my legs would not move to come into this building until Rick Finney parked his big, ugly, loud truck next to me. He's been parking it there for nine years, too. Been working since 5 o'clock in the morning, filling gas tanks. He'd pull up, he'd knock on my window, and he'd go, Hey, brother! And he has this smile that permeates fear. He moved in me, and when he moved in me, my legs worked. When my legs worked, I could open the car door, and he would walk for me. He didn't know this. He's back there doing it for other people right now. But when he, he would do this, he'd walk from me from the car to the church. And by the time I got from the church, I went from shaky legs to strong voice. Not because of what's in me. Not because I'm strong. But because somebody decided they were going to move first and love me. You have that power in you right now. With your kids at home, with your wife sitting next to you, with your girlfriend, with your boyfriend. You have the power in you to turn mushy legs into strong, fruitful humans. And it's not you. It's God in you. You just choose it. But you can't choose it when you're shaky-legged, when you're fearful, when you're in protective mode. God knew that, and that's why he sent Rick. Consequences of survival mode. I promise I'm going quick. Taking nights off. I hear men talk like this all the time. You know how practical I'm going to get about right now if you come to church here often. I'm going to start talking about it, and I'm going to start hitting it on Facebook when I see you say this. Men, we don't take nights off and go out with the guys. We don't. That's not what we do. We're not taking the night off from our marriage to go out and hang out with the guys. Guys, we don't earn points with their wives. I know it's cute to say, oh, I earned some points on that one, but what it means is that we're keeping score, and she's keeping score. And when we keep score, it's ugly. This is something that my ex-wife used to say to me, so maybe this doesn't happen to any of the rest of you, but I'll say it anyway. Hey, John, I saw you mowed the yard. Boy, you did a good job around the bushes. That's the least he could do. You know what that is? That's entitlement. That's you going, 
Nothing you could do could make up for the way I've treated you, the way you've treated me. This is what the consequences of survival mode, it, it's, it's resentment. You know what resentment is? It's when something good happens to somebody else and you go, Pff. Resentment sounds more than it looks, you know? It's <laughs> That's what resentment is. And it's one thing when it's people you don't like, but what happens in really hard marriages and relationships is something good happens. The wife, the husband says something and everybody at the party laughs and it's legitimately funny and he feels good about himself and the wife has to go, well, yeah, but his hair looks stupid, right? Am I right, ladies? Right? This is a symptom of a bigger problem. Resentment, entitlement, distance, fear, and keeping score. You know what I mean by keeping score? All right, let's see. She did laundry and dishes, that adds up to one yard mow, right? Let's keep score here, right? right? If you do the yard, I'll do the dishes twice. And Can you imagine, those of you who are keeping score like right now, what it would look like? Men, I'll start with you. Women, maybe you need to do this too. Just go get a golf scorecard. Just go get a real golf scorecard. Matt has them all over his golf bag. Most of them are really high numbers at the end, but you'll have, no, I'm just kidding. Get a golf scorecard. Go to your wife and go, you know what? You do the laundry. I do the dishes. I don't do anything. You do everything. We need to do things differently and rip up the scorecard in front of her. No more scorecards in our house. No more. When I, when I was a kid, it was a big deal to have one of those poster boards up with all the chores, you know, in the house. We, London loves that, but we got rid of it in our house because the truth is when the, when the rabbit cage or the guinea pig cage needs to be cleaned, it needs to be cleaned whether you've got check marks or not. And this is not a good way to start our kids living their lives. That someday your wife's going to go, hey, it's time to mow the yard. And you go, well, I got three check marks and a gold star. I don't need to mow the yard. (laughs) Here's some ways to know you're keeping score real quick. A few ways to know you're keeping score. If you find yourself nagging all the time, and even you are annoying yourself. Like, oh, I said that yesterday and the day before and the day before. Stop. It could be that you're keeping score. If you find yourself mad when something good happens to the other person, <laughs> you're keeping score. If you find yourself overly critical to get a response, if you do something or say something in order to get somebody to do something, I've seen this happen so many times, it is funny to me at times, where you go out with a couple and she'll say something and the guy won't respond. She'll say something really mean and he'll, he'll just pretend he ignored it, he like didn't hear it because he didn't want to cause a scene. So she'll, it just makes her really mad because she, what she wants is him to get mad or him to say something awful or say something bad because that, that, that's the give and take of the scorecard, right? So she says something and he didn't say anything and then I'll, I'll watch her look at him. Beady eyes. And he'll kind of ignore her and then she'll say it again in a different way, meaner this time. Pretty soon she'll say it so loud the waiter thinks she's talking to him and she comes over, what'd you say? No, I wasn't talking to you and then everybody. Because this is what we do. We get irrational when we keep score. If you feel yourself feeling defensive, like you're protecting yourself all the time, you might be keeping score. So what are you scared of today? This is not an exhaustive list. You scared of being taken advantage of? You know how freeing it is to look at another human being and say, you couldn't take advantage of me if you wanted to. I'm giving you. I'm giving myself to you. You can have it. What what do you want from me? Yours. You want money? Yeah, here. You want my stuff? Yeah. You want my car? 
change your life, change your marriage. Being alone. You don't have to be lonely at FarmersOnly.com. You seen that? Seen that commercial? Ridiculous. There's 6,000 ways you can not be lonely. The truth is you can date every Thursday, Friday, Saturday night of your life and still be lonely. Because the issue is not about being with somebody. It's about being the person God intended for you to be. If you've missed the sermons we've preached, the very first sermon, you can go back and listen to it. The very first sermon in this series was about Mr. Right. It was about this myth that we have that you've got to find the right person when all along God says, you're not going to find the right person. You need to be the right person. That's how you live with a healthy marriage. Being dependent makes people nervous. Being stuck scares people. But the biggest thing, I think, among all humans is being right with God. Band, you guys can come on up. Maybe today this is the most important thing you need to hear. Whether you're in a marriage, you're divorced, you're in a relationship, you're not, you've got all these things going on in your life, maybe the most important thing you're going to hear today is this, that it is possible to walk out of this building today knowing where you stand with God. Did you know that? That you don't have to play this game the rest of your life? That Jesus came once and for all so that this game doesn't have to be played anymore. I was reading the book of Leviticus just recently because it's awesome. No, it's, it's really hard to read. Um, but I was reading it because I was preparing for another sermon. And I started reading this thing and I'm like, holy cow, there's so much detail about sacrifice in the book of Leviticus. You go in and God starts telling you what kind of blood to use, what kind of animals. He starts telling you how big the altar needs to be and it's all these specifics. Like the God I know doesn't, doesn't do that. And so I had this thought, I legitimately had this thought, and the thought was this, why doesn't God just once and for all say, you know what, no more sacrifices, this is getting ridiculous, just one sacrifice, that'll be it. In fact, let's get rid of this whole, this whole altar thing, let's just get rid of that whole thing, and, and let's get rid of the priest thing, just for once and for all, what if God, and I started thinking, yeah, that's later in the book, that's when Jesus came, God said, no more of that, once and for all, you accept the name Jesus in your life. It's over. And if you really get that, and if you stop this, it'll change the way you live. This, are we okay? Are we okay? Are we okay? God looks down and says, you want to be okay? You treat your neighbor different. You stop those stupid Facebook posts. You stop talking like that. There's nothing that makes me happier as a dad. London makes me little things, and I love it. She does things for me, and I love it. But when she looks at her brother, she does something for him, or she makes him a cup of milk, I want to say to her, I want to get her by the shoulders and say, that's what I want from you the rest of your life. That's what God wants to do to you right now. He wants to put, get you by your shoulders and go, this is what I want from you. We're okay. We're good forever. You're not going to lose that. Get right with the people around you at all costs. So today, this whole sermon series is based on that phrase from this day forward. You know, I've said this phrase so many times. I think I'm up to 260-some weddings in my life. I'm not counting or anything. Um, 200-and-some weddings in my life I've performed ceremonies. And this phrase is in most of them, This from this day forward. Do you know that from this day forward, today, right now, it can be different? It can change today. Look at this. 
Romans chapter 8. Write this one down because I don't have much time to go through it, but you need to hear this. With the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, that fateful dilemma is resolved. That am I or am I not? Am I free? But what about that thing from high school? And what about last Friday night? And what? Am I okay? Am I not? That fateful dilemma with Jesus has been resolved. Those who enter into Christ being being here for us, no longer have to live under a continuous, low-lying, black cloud. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ. Like a strong wind has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands hands of sin and death. Today is your day. From this day forward, it can be different. I was asked recently, hey, I think I want to do the baptism thing. What do I need to do? Um, find, a pair, find a pair of shorts that you don't look really stupid in? Don't wear a white shirt? That's pretty much the list. Maybe today's your day. From this day forward, you can know. And when you know where you stand with God, it will change your marriage. It will change your life. Today, these guys are going to play um, and sing and all kinds of stuff. And I'm going to go back to that corner. Um, if you'd like to pray with me today, I'd love to pray with you. If you'd like to just come up here on this stage and fall on your face up here to God and just pray between you and God, maybe married couples need to do that today. Whatever.